Obviously, uh, back in January, we were fortunate to be able to buy a piece of property across the street from the high school, and you, many of you have seen the signs, of course, and we've prayed over that and celebrated that and continue to pray about that. And God provided the resources, really, through the faithfulness of the giving of our church. For the first three years that we were together as a church, we just kept taking extra and putting it aside and putting it aside, and, and eventually there was enough resource there to buy that ground and just pay cash for that. We celebrate that. And we continue to support ministry and mission around the world and continue to set money aside. And, we, and so that's what we've done even still. So there's, a, there's some funds there that are already in the account to look forward to someday building uh, a facility across the street from where we are right now. This bold faith journey, though, is going is to stretch us. We call it bold faith because we all walk by faith and not by sight. We are called as we have received Him, so walk in Him. We received Him by faith, therefore that's how we need to walk. But bold faith is going to be something that's going to be the convergence of where our courage and faith are going to collide. Because by faith we can get up every day and read the Bible, we can pray, we can walk in obedience, and that takes faith to do that. Bold faith takes it another, another step. Because often God's going to bring you to the place of the impossible so that you have to trust Him to see the next thing through. I enjoy every time that God has taken me to these places because it runs me out of my own capacities. I'm not smart enough, strong enough, can't run fast enough, and don't have enough resources to take the next leg of the journey unless God supernaturally supplies. And God always has. So I can stand here personally as a testament of the fact that God is faithful, He is true, and when He guides you down a pathway, He shows you where He wants you to go, gives you the vision for it, you run in that vision, you walk in that vision, and then He provides along that pathway for you. And so this bold faith journey that we're going to start today is designed for us to rally together as a church under one central focus, and that is by faith we're going to trust God to do a miracle. We're going to trust God to do a lot of miracles. And it's way bigger than just buildings. We can talk about buildings all we want to, because, but the reality is, as a church, we can function without a building. We have. We're nearly four years old, and we have seen people come to know Jesus Christ, people be discipled, people been baptized. Our church is active in the community. We are active all over the world. And so the functionality of a church, we can accomplish that without a building. We may be able to rent something like this forever. I don't know. But there's some strategy in why God would provide for us a place. By having our own place, there's things that we can't really do very well here. And we see the need for a home base of operation. There's opportunities when we build our own place that we can have better set up for training in the course of a week. Better opportunities for worship. A little more flexible in our space. But even more than what we do on Sundays, it's what we can do the rest of the time. And that's part of the, the vision that I want to share again with you today. And many of you have heard me talk about this over and over and over. But I want to bring it to us today succinctly. Which is why in the book of Habakkuk it teaches us that if there's vision from the Lord, you take that vision and you write it down. Make it plain upon the tables that those who read it can run with it. And so that's what we want to do today is just share briefly the vision but I also want us to go into the scriptures and be able to see distinctly what it looks like to pray and ask God for a miracle. Because I believe God provides those. 
The vision that God's given for our church was really birthed from the standpoint of why we bought the property that we did. Not only does it engineer well, it's in a good location, we like the highway, we like the access, all that stuff matters. But there was a reason why we felt like God led us to be across the street from a school. Quite frankly, everywhere I've been in ministry, I've desired to always integrate into school life um, with the public school environments as, as, any, as much as possible. Because it's an endless amount of people and families and relationships. It's a way to really love your community well. You become very intimately connected to individuals and, and ways to minister. And you find out the needs in a community through a school system. You find ways to minister to teachers who have a lot of hours per day in front of students. We discover ways to come alongside of coaches who have significant influence in the lives of players. And are a big voice in their life. And so when you set up shop across the street from a school, it provides you an access point that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. And that's why we believe God led us to the space that He did. There's a timeliness of building things as well. We've been trusting God for the right plans to get in order, and we're still working on all that. Those things are not complete. But there's a pretty good framework of concept. There's timeliness when it comes to public utilities and when those things might come our direction enough that we could connect to and highway projects and different things that we've been observing and waiting for the right time. But as all those things are starting to materialize, we see that the timing that God has brought for us to rally together as a church and prepare for what's next in order to, to build what He would have us to build, that time has come. And so we want to rally around that. But this bold faith journey, again, is more than just buildings. It's about people. It's about us as the people of God taking the steps by faith, by courage that God would have us to take as we grow in our prayer life, because this is where the journey must begin. We start at the foot of the cross this morning, but this journey has to begin in prayer where we recognize that we come to God boldly to the throne of grace. We know that when we come to Him, He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him because why? We come asking for impossible things that only God can do. And so God, we're asking God to grow us in our prayer life. We're asking for God to cause us to be bold when it comes to sharing our faith, sharing the gospel. The Apostle Paul prayed for this specifically and asked the churches to pray with him to make me bold, O Lord, because you keep putting me in places where the door opens for the gospel to be preached and I want to make it plain, I want to make it clear. And so we're going to ask God for that in the life of every person in our church that God would embolden us even greater to sharing the gospel. That God would work in our lives for the engagement and mission and ministry that in the areas of discipleship and Bible, learning the Scriptures and teaching the Scriptures to one another. To be willing to take that word around the world and go wherever God would lead us to go. And we want to engage His mission, whatever that looks like. But we also recognize that all of that comes through boldness in giving and how we choose to give. And it comes from an aspect of sacrifice. It comes from the heart and we're going to learn some things about that. So this brochure that we gave you today is simply a navigational guide for what we're going to talk about over these next few weeks and discover what does God say about it in Scripture so that we just align our lives individually and as a church with what the Word of God already says. But this is where the boldness comes in. 
Because boldness means I'm going to come to God and I'm going to ask God for these things to happen in my life and in our lives. And then we're going to, by courage, take the next step that we may not see real clear. But God says, take it and do it. And so we will. The vision that I believe God has placed in front of us, and we have prayed, all of us together over this many times, is by the location of being able to access families and students so freely by being across from the school. We've already had a lot of conversations even with the schools about what it might look like to have our church be a bus stop where we can have programming after school every single day and have a facility that would operate on an everyday basis. And so in order to design a facility that matches your ministry and your mission, the facility that we've laid out so far is about a 22,000 foot building. That involves a a gymnasium that is a full-size high school gymnasium with some space around it. But that gymnasium, with everybody um, widely seated, very broadly seated, will seat over 600 people. By code, if we smoosh everyone together, we could seat over 1,000 people. We believe that facility would serve us for a long time and in a lot of great ways. But our desire is to build a multi-use, everyday use type facility and we use it all, all day long, all the time. In that facility, we also recognize we're going to need to have spaces for children and, and classrooms for, and nurseries and things for young people. That's essential. We know that to get into the building and have spaces to fellowship and interact with each other and do the things that we do as a church family all the time to, in, to always have a lot of great and sweet fellowship, we need an atrium space. We need a kitchen to serve out of. We, we flat go through the food around here, not just on potlucks, but in serving our community. And so we need to have a kitchen space. And so you take all those components and, and add the offices for some staffing to be a part of that, and it's about a 22,000-foot building. You say, well, how, how much is that going to cost? Well, that's a great question in this day and age, trying to stick price tags to things. But, but there's some generic numbers you can work with to get you in the ball game, And so you just think about this, of the fact that a 2,000 square foot house, how much would that cost on average? Well, in this market today, $400,000. Well, let's build 11 of those. Well, you're going to get real close. 11 uh, times 400,000 plus is north of $4 million. That sounds like a daunting task. But I don't believe it's impossible with the Lord. One of the things I take refuge in when I see numbers like that that have too many zeros after them, it causes me to realize the miracle that one community church has been in the lives of other people. Repeatedly. If you take it on a local scale to go into the home of someone who can't pay their utility bill and the utilities are now shut off, And they're having to decide between some medicine for their child, utilities, or some food. And we become privy to that. And all of a sudden you come in and help. And what doesn't look like a lot of zeros after the number for us, miraculous and mountainous to someone in a moment of need. We do this repeatedly as a church, and I'm thankful we can. Our church has been a miracle to many churches around the world. I think about the ones that especially in Togo where we've been so many times. A place where people make a dollar a day if they work outside of their own farm. 
So you take a church of 100 people that make a dollar a day, and so their tithe is not very much, maybe a buck a week at the most. There's a church that meets in the mud or under a shade tree. During raining seasons, they don't meet at all. They can. It's, it's impossible. And so now all of a sudden a church like one community comes alongside and we build them a church. It may cost us $30,000, but that is completely impossible to a church that's in the mud. And so one community church has been the miracle for many places. And now we turn and we come to God and we say, Lord, we need a miracle as well. Because the, the project that faces us is bigger than the scope of who we are, but it's not impossible with the Lord. And so as I have seen God use one community to be the miracle for others, we're going to the same God and asking for a miracle for one community church. The focus of our church is simple. We invest in people. We want to invest every day. And so we envision an opportunity to have students and families be in our facilities every day after school. There's a great need in not only this community, but every community. Latchkey kids that go home to empty houses. Families that are trying to, especially single parent families that are trying to make a living. And yet we have to have something available for kids. There's definitely school programs that are available, but... There's needs for op and opportunities, and we want to leverage the opportunities for Bible and character training and providing athletic opportunities and life skill trainings and different things that maybe we could offer that are not currently available just in an after-school care. When you offer care like that, or the, the program like I'm describing, you become very intimately connected to families which then facilitates for not only the gospel, but very clear life skill type coaching on parenting and families and marriage and helping one another at different seasons and different generations and coming alongside. The counsel that can be given when it comes to how to manage your money and, and how to prioritize things. Those are basic life skills that there's a great need for that. And in, as I... Uh, work throughout the community and talk to different community leaders, the desperation cry for character training and for life skill training for all the different walks of life. There's challenges for our seniors in our community for needs that they have, and we have been doing our best to try to meet a lot of those, but I think we can even do more. There's a need for the compassion care in our community to have a centralized focus. Right now it's a little fractured. And we feel like if we could help maybe centralize that and our church could take some leadership and ownership in that area as we have already done, but we want to do better. We want to do more and a facility would really help us to accomplish some of those things. And so as we look forward to this, guys, I, I stand here knowing this, the vision for what this could be is so clear in my mind. I see it as plain as the nose on my face. But boy, there's just a lot of zeros and those things seem impossible but it's not impossible with God. And so my prayer for us as a church is, do we embrace and can we all see that collectively together? And that's what I've asked the Lord for, that we just unite around a single vision and purpose of ministry and mission. And it's not just for, well, are we just about Rogersville? No, 
We're about the community, and we're about the community of the world that God places us in. We pretty much run on the rails of where God leads us to go, and that has taken us a lot of places. I can tell you today that our church has been a miraculous blessing to people that have come into our community as refugees. I'm not sure how many families, north of 25 families or so, that we have helped settle into this community that came here with nothing but the clothes on their back. And through your giving and others who give from this community and through donations of furniture and resources of all different types, we've helped families to get settled into this community. And so it, it stretches way past what happens within a mile of this front door. And so that's what God has for us to do. I believe that God has called upon us as a church to take a bold step of faith and pursue this bold vision to build a facility that would enable us to accomplish his mission and his purpose. So you may ask, well, well when, are we, when are we breaking ground? I have no idea. Because there's some steps that have to happen. There's resources that have to be there. In order to build something like that, it takes, it takes money. We know that. And we'll talk about that later. That's not really the subject of today. But we have a, a priority in our church and we establish values from the day we started. Our value system is such that we operate within our means. We establish a budget every year and we operate within it. Our budget is loaded pretty full of benevolence and missions and ministry. And a lot of money goes out the door. That has nothing to do really with how we build everything in-house. And we want to keep it that way. I love the fact that in our church, because we operate under a budget and we stay within it, usually well under it, that every time and every month it's been true, since the day we opened the door of One Community Church, our income has exceeded our expenses. So every time we have that happen, we take the extra, we tithe another bit again to missions. And we set money aside for the long haul of life, just like you probably do in your own home. As a result of that, Year to date, our income for our church, I'm just going to give you a quickie here, but our income for our church is about a half a million dollars so far. We have sent out the door year to date over $110,000 for missions, ministry, and ways to support our community. That's 20% of our income is going out. And praise the Lord for that. That is not something I stand here that we, we boast in in that. No, we boast in the Lord. That the Lord has provided supernaturally. And as a result of, of faithful giving, we've also been able to set some monies aside in, in preparation for our, our future facility. But I can tell you that in order to build something like what we're talking about, there will be a day we have to borrow some money. And there will be a payment like we pay for rent and all the extra expenses that go with the church like this. But not at, the, not at the jeopardy of the values that we have. And so there's a timeliness of when will we begin to build something when the resources are made available to do so. And that's what we're trusting God for. That is the impossible miracle that is impossible with men but totally possible with God and that's what I'm going to ask us to begin to pray over distinctly. Today we begin a new chapter in our journey with the Lord. This bold faith where we're going to very di diligently call out to God under a, 
asking for a miracle for this. You say, well, we've been praying all along. Yeah, but we're rifling in here now, folks, with a plan and a purpose and seeing exactly what God has for us. We're starting to get our drawings finished up to where we, we know what we're trying to do here. And now we've got a timeliness of when would God have us to do it. You know, when I was as we've been studying through the book of Mark, the Lord has just taught us step for step what it looks like to be a church, one community for the community. And as I began this study, I asked the Lord to allow this to teach us of how to be servants like Christ and have the same vision and the same purpose that Jesus had. And as we dig into this book of Mark, lo and behold, we come to a day like this where we're needing a miracle from God and needing to learn to pray and asking God for miracles. And we recognize this boldness is declared in Scripture. And remember the verse that we've even put up already today out of the book of Ephesians. It says this, According to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. As a Christ follower today, you have boldness and access to the Father through Jesus Christ, and we are now welcomed unto the throne of grace. And I want to illustrate this to you today of this incredible boldness that you have and access that you have through a story in the book of Mark that happens to be the very next story in our text. We don't have to jump around. Let's just keep following Jesus through the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46, they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Interesting spot Jesus is leading them to. They've come from the north area of the Sea of Galilee, now heading south towards Jerusalem because ultimately Jesus needs to be there on time to be crucified. He knows it. They pass through Jericho. Jericho is very strategic. In the old day, Jericho was the place where they needed a victory. A miraculous, impossible victory for the nation of Israel as they left Egypt in pursuit of the Promised Land. God made it possible to cross the Jordan River on dry ground during the flood time. Impossible. They get to the city of Jericho as soon as they cross the Jordan. An impossible fortress city that you have to go through it in order to get to the Promise. Jericho was an impossible city. It was a walled up city. The walls of that city were over 30 feet thick. They used to run chariot races on the top of the wall. It was so big. It was fixed between two mountain ranges to where it's impossible to go over or around it. You have to go through it. And God directed Israel to that very moment for the incredible victory that only God could have. Where Israel walks around that wall and they see this wall fall down and God gave them an incredible victory. But all these years go by since that great victory and that possession of the promised land and, and sin began to creep into the nation of Israel. They divide, they have problems, and all these things happen. And obviously, as all sinners on the planet, they have a great need for a Savior. And now the Savior has come. And the Savior is now coming into, Jer into Jericho. And just outside the city of Jericho is a blind man who's begging. Bartimaeus is a great example like a metaphor at this time for the nation of Israel. Because the city of Jericho was the place of victory for Israel at one point, but now Israel sits in blindness, spiritual blindness on the side of the road begging. 
in missing the fact that the Messiah is right in front of them. Blind Bartimaeus begins to cry out in verse 46. They came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with the disciples, a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by this road begging. In verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you can hear this cry over and over and over and he gets louder just wanting Jesus to acknowledge. But I want you to notice the name that he calls him. Jesus, son of David. He's heard this name Jesus. He's heard of the miracles. He's heard the preaching. He's heard of the preaching. Here's a guy who can't see anything, but he can see everything. He sees distinctly spiritually what the others can't see with their own two eyes. And he cries out to Jesus, have mercy on me, but he calls him son of David. This is a, a belief that this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one whom we knew from David the king that the scepter would never depart from Israel, would never depart from Judah. And this is the one. We can know that this is the one. And he calls out by name to this one, Jesus, and said, have mercy on me. Don't ever miss the fact that this incredible calling out is just like what we have. This bold access to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says that we have a high priest. We don't have this high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly. Because we have this high priest that completely understands all that we go through, let's come boldly to the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy, find grace to help in a time of need. We can come boldly to His throne. And when we come boldly, we, we can cry out asking God for His mercy. We cry out for His grace. We're asking for a miracle. Bartimaeus needs a miracle in his life. In verse 48 of Mark, it says that, Mark 10 says, Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He just keeps screaming this out and screaming this out. And of course, he's told to be quiet. Anytime you take a step of faith, I can tell you that every major uh, crossroad in my life as the Lord was leading me to make decisions that were going to impact me and my family, potentially a church, there's always the naysayers. There's always the ones that tell you to be quiet. They're the ones that tell you that you can't do that. Shh. He's busy. Jesus is busy. Don't bother him with those trivialities. Besides that, you're unworthy. You're sitting on the side of the road. Sadly, Jesus was surrounded by his own disciples whom they have observed Jesus repeatedly heal the blind, make the lame to walk, feeding thousands. And somehow, they miss blind Bartimaeus. And when blind Bartimaeus cried out for mercy, Shh, keep him quiet. Instead of ushering him to the one who could give mercy. 
In verse 49, so Jesus stood still. And he commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise. He's calling you. Oh, I love this. Jesus stops and stood still. And not only does he stand still, but now he calls this one to him. He calls Bartimaeus to come. When Bartimaeus hears this, of course, he's going to jump and run. But I don't want you to miss the fact that when you call out to the Lord. I love this in Romans 10. Let's hear it clear. Romans chapter 10 teaches us that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. As a sinner, when I was a young person, I called upon the name of the Lord for salvation and God saved me. As a Christ follower, I call upon the name of the Lord and He hears me. The creator of heaven and earth, He hears me. And not only does He hear me, but now He wants to answer things according to His will in Christ Jesus. He wants to do miraculous things in my life and through my life. And He wants me to have the faith to believe Him that I would even dare to ask. And even more special is the fact that we are taught in Romans 8 that as believers in Christ, when we cry out, we cry out, Abba, Father. It's the most intimate term that we could have for our Heavenly Father because it's just like we would know to call Him Dad. Any of you parents in this room know that your kids can cry out in the middle of a crowd of a thousand people and somehow you heard their voice. I know with my boys growing up in Hallianna, we can be in the middle of a lot of things. I can be outside. I can be far away. But I hear that sound. Dad, drop everything and we need to go find out what's up. Your ear is tuned as the father to your kids. And our heavenly father is tuned to you. Awaiting. Telling us you have boldness. And access to the throne room of God. Come. Cast your cares upon Him. He cares for you. Ask what you will and it will be done unto you. And yet somehow we, we seem to always want to go and do it our own way. But here's old Bartimaeus. They tell him now, these same ones that told him, Shh, be quiet, are now like, hey, be of good cheer. He's calling you. I want you to watch Bartimaeus' response. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. James chapter 4 teaches that you draw near to God, he draws near to you. But oh, Bartimaeus, he throws aside his garment. That seems like the opposite thing you would do if you knew this was the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the Lord, the Savior, the Creator of heaven and earth is now right here in front of you. I don't know about you, but my first thought would not be to throw my garment off and run. You'd probably try to figure out how to get yourself all dolled up and make it perfect so that you can go and talk and have a request and make everything perfect. With Bartimaeus, no pretense. None. It's empty-handed. I bring nothing to the table here. I'm naked. I'm open. I'm transparent. This is who I am, Lord. This is where I'm at. And he comes and just shows up that way, empty-handed in front of Jesus. And Jesus 
is going to hear his request. In verse 51, so Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Well, doesn't this seem glaringly obvious? The man's blind. Why is he wanting to know, what do you want me to do for you? I doubt he's going to ask for something to eat. He's got a bigger issue. Well, the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. The word Rabboni means master. He placed himself in complete submission to Jesus. And now making his request, submission unto the will of the Lord. Who asked, what do you want me to do for you? And his answer, that I may receive my sight. Of course, that's the impossible thing. Providing food wouldn't have been hard. Providing clothes for a man who needs it. Jesus surely could have provided shelter. All of those things could have been met, quite frankly, could have been met by anyone standing in the crowd. But Bartimaeus asked the Master, the Lord, the Savior, the Creator, for the one thing that is completely impossible. Vision. To be able to see. Jesus wanted to hear him ask this, asking for a miracle that Jesus might respond to his faith. And when this moment happens and Jesus now heals him, the only one that's going to get any credit here is Jesus. No one can lay claim that they did anything for this man except Jesus did this. In verse 52, Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. An incredible act of faith on this man's part to make his request known to Jesus. Jesus responded to his faith and made him well. This verse is wonderful to see the power in prayer. We get to see how Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? If he came and asked you that right now, what would you say? And is our request aligned with him as the master? It's according to his word. We're not asking things for our own lustful appetites. Not asking for things amiss that we would consume it upon ourselves. That we would be asking, Lord, please, we're asking you for this miraculous thing. I want you to recognize, though, in this verse, this verse often gets ripped out of context and in ways that can be very damaging. And here's what I mean by that. You see this situation where Jesus heals him and says, your faith has made you well. And certainly he came to Jesus by faith. So here's where the struggle lies. If by faith I come to Jesus and ask for healing in my physical body where it's broken and he doesn't heal me, is my faith inadequate? Is it empty? Is there something wrong with me? Is God not listening to me? What's happening here? In fact, if you'll watch through the Gospels, Jesus heals people all the time when they weren't even asking. He was demonstrating a miracle to show the way to the Father, that he's revealing the Father. In fact, we see in Scripture where the Apostle Paul, who had a physical infirmity, and we don't know what type it was exactly, but... I think we would all agree Paul was a pretty solid dude in the faith. Comes to Jesus by faith and asks for God to remove this. Matter of fact, he comes to him three times. And God's answer to him was no. My grace is sufficient for you. 
My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so then Paul could gladly glory in those things. Then the Lord's going to be glorified in my body where it's broken. It doesn't work quite right. And God's going to get the glory from this. But God, in this moment, moved on behalf of the faith of Bartimaeus and healed him. I shared those other illustrations with you because often this verse right here in your Bible gets taken as the place that by all means you ask in faith and God will heal you and we kind of leave off all the other places where that didn't happen where instead God walks with you through the, through the trials and the tribulations and where your body is not working quite right and God walks with you through all of that. Now that's a miracle in itself. So this power we have as Christ followers, God gives us vision. He gives us this privilege to pray, a commandment to come boldly. And then here's his question to you and I. What do you want me to do for you? If you remember last week, the disciples' answer to that was, oh, that we might sit on your right and left hand in the kingdom. They came asking to consume something for themselves. They wanted position and power. They wanted to be known. This man comes and just says, Lord, that I'm master, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus granted it was his will to do so. We have this incredible power and confidence. 1 John chapter 4, or 5, verse 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But catch the caveat. We ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Well, and we know that He hears us whatever we ask when we know that we have the petitions that we asked of Him. We know God's listening. You are His child. You cry out, Abba, Father, He's listening. He's told you to come to the throne of grace. So when I make my petitions known to Him, I pray and God... Please, this is what I'm asking for. But God is always tempering me through the power of the Spirit of God to be guiding me and directing me to be asking according to His will. And sometimes the answer to God when I ask for th or from God is this. No, not right now, Dwayne. Or we're going to do this. I hear what you're saying, but we're going to do this a different way. And He takes you down a road. You didn't even know you were going to go down that road. But God's going to guide you there. But that's His will. And you, you just keep coming and saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. That's where this word master comes in and where we can sing songs like, I surrender all. And we just lay it all at the feet of Jesus and come boldly then to the throne of grace to make our requests known to Him. And when we abide in His truth, John 15 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it'll be done for you. Why is that true? Because I'm going to be asking things consistent with the word of God. I know this as a church. If we are asking God to do things and to help us build a facility and it's not the will of God that we ever build anything across the street, we won't. He won't make the provision for it. He'll redirect our steps. We'll do something different. It's okay. My life is not dependent on us building buildings. We're wanting to walk with Jesus and by bold faith enter into the presence of the living God and Him say, what do you want me to do? And make these requests 
And I ask you today, let us unite together in the same prayer of faith before the Lord. Well, let's see what God does. I'm not ashamed in the slightest to go before my God asking to do a miracle in the life of one community church. I am never ashamed to go to the Lord and say, Lord, make one community church a miracle in the life of someone else. And he always does. Bow your heads with me if you would. first step of bold faith is to come to Jesus acknowledging that he is your uh, he is the savior and maybe that's where you begin your journey today is knowing I need a savior I know I'm a sinner I need a savior and I'm asking Jesus to save me and that may be your prayer request right now and he says Dwayne what do you want me to do for you and maybe your answer to this today is Lord save me Maybe you've never prayed that before from the sincerity of your heart is, Lord, I'm asking you today, please save me. I can assure you from Scripture, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's an assurance. As Christ followers, I challenge you this today, that we'd come to the throne room of grace And as we do, and God says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, that I might know you better today than I did yesterday. I want an intimate fellowship relationship with you. Lord, that you would work miraculously in my life and through my life. Lord, that you would embolden me to do your mission in this world. To use me as you see fit. Which means we come to the Lord and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done.